0: Let's turn together to Luke one. The theme of the first week of Advent is hope. The candle that is burning is the hope candle. And uh, what I would like to do, and as far as the sermons go over the course of advent is is to take the theme of that week and see where that shows up in the in the birth narrative of Christ. And so today we're going to look at hope and what that has to do with Mary. And so hope is a pretty, pretty like in a basic sense, very easy concept to understand. Hope is the idea that things are going to get better. Simply put, things are going to get better. And uh, one of the things about hope that is very important, though, is who is the source of the one that's telling you things are going to get better, right? Uh, the, we're always filtering hope based on who is telling us, you know, hang in there, man. And so let's say that if you go to the doctor and your doctor uh says, Hey, I'm seeing some stuff I don't really like, I want to send your chart off to uh to get some other folks to weigh in on it. And you're like, okay, what's going on? So he prints out something, he's like, this is what what you you might have going on, just want you to know. So let's say that you take that that uh information and you share it with your best friend who is not a doctor at all. Um and then your doctor has weighed in. And so you have these two different voices. Uh, your doctor is like, oh, I'm not so sure about this. So you're kind of filtering that. Then your best friend, if your best friend is being a good friend to you, is probably filled with encouragement and strength and support. And so you're like receiving that on one level, but it's not helping you medically, right? Because the medical professional, the professional source in your life is concerned about something. And so you're receiving hope, but you're kind of filtering it from your best friend. But you really wish that the doctor had more hope in that case, right? But let's say your doctor calls and he's like, he's like, "Hey, I have uh, I have some more opinions. Uh, I got a, um, I got some information from a doctor at Johns Hopkins who uh, has this to say." So you have your your best friend, and then your primary care physician, and then this expert, Johns Hopkins. And so you're going to filter those three voices very differently. And then what if somehow I also went to this like global panel of experts on this particular thing like those smartest people in the world about the thing that's on the sheet of paper uh, those are four different sources of hope that you're going to filter very very differently right you're not going to put your best not your best friend who's not a doctor and their job is to encourage you on the same plane with the global experts right so the source of our hope is a part of what we're what we're filtering as hope is, like people are saying, hang in there, things are going to get better. And so with all of that stuff in mind, uh, we're headed into this season of, of Advent, we're thinking about the first coming of Christ, we're thinking about the second coming of Christ, and hope is essential to us, right? We have to believe that things are going to get better in the sense that Jesus is going to come back and make everything new. Like that is, we have built our lives on this, um, And so how does hope fit into Mary's story? Well, let's look at it and let's see if there's anything that we can maybe learn from uh, from the mom of our Savior. Okay, look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And look at Mary's Mary's response. Mary said to her, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She goes from there. She goes to see her cousin Elizabeth for them to share in the excitement about each other's babies. And this is what Elizabeth says. If you skip down verse 45, this is what Elizabeth says about Mary. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She believed that what God said to her was going to happen. That, that is hope right there. Like That is the epitome of hope. That God is going to keep his promises. That is what hope is. And she believed it. So how... I think the question for today is is how did Mary get to that place of hope? She just received this crazy news, right? How did she so quickly get to a place where she believed that what God said was going to happen? And And how does that impact us? I'm not saying that we're in the same situation as Mary. I mean... She was told, You're going to miraculously conceive and give birth to the Savior of the entire world. Like, that's not the same thing that we're dealing with, right? But we are waiting for God to keep the promise that Jesus is going to return and make all things new, right? He has made a promise to us like he made to her. Um, and it takes faith just like it does for her. And we have to have hope just like Mary had to have hope. Um, and while we're waiting, we're dealing with all kinds of other stuff. In the waiting. So hope is a factor, whether we're talking about hope in the second coming of Christ, or hope in the midst of our waiting. And that's going to fit in different parts of all of our lives today. Because some of you struggle with the idea of the return of Christ, uh, and I understand that. And some of you are like, I don't really have I don't, don't have the emotional capacity for that, because I have this other thing. While I'm waiting for that big thing to happen, i got this other thing to deal with. In fact, the second coming would actually free me from having to deal with this other thing that I'm currently having to deal with, you know? And so we're all in a place where we need hope to show up. And if hope isn't showing up for you or you're not sure about it, then maybe today we can learn from uh, from Mary. So uh, as all good preachers do, i got three ideas for you. Uh, here's, here's the first one. How did Mary get to a place of hope and how can we also do the same? The first thing is that Mary wrestled with her situation. I grew up around church. I know a lot of you did too. I grew up going to Christmas pageants. Anyone? Uh, First Baptist Zachary did a Christmas pageant for all these years. And it was like this, I mean, it was a big deal. And they're like bringing like donkeys and camels and stuff in the, in the building. You know, like it was like a, they would act out the whole thing. And so I always, in my head, think of Mary as full of what? Grace. Hail Mary, full of grace. We think of, and it's easy to kind of read through that narrative. And Gabriel's like, this is going to happen. And she's like, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. As, as if she just rolled with it and, and there was no, that's not what it says. Uh, it says, if we look more closely, look at verse 28. Gabriel said to her, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She was troubled with what with, with the situation. We can't skip over that part. Just because she got to a good place doesn't mean she was starting off in a good place. It troubled her. She needed to try to discern it. Um, in verse, uh, you don't have to look at it, but in, in verse uh, thirty-four, she's like, "I don't understand how this can happen." You know what I mean? She's like, "This uh, technically this should not be like a thing." So she's like, she's not. Um, Irreverently barking back at God, you know? It's not this disrespectful, shaking her fist kind of thing. But she's like, hey, this kind of troubles me. I'm, I need to try to discern what is happening here. Uh, I got some questions. And God doesn't say, you know what? I thought you were the one, but you are not because you questioned what's going on. I'm going to move on to someone else. She had to wrestle with it. She had to ask some questions. She had to kind of struggle and... I think that's a part of our process. I think that's a part of how hope shows up is there has to be some wrestling like if it, if hope isn't immediate, then we need to know that it's okay with God for us to struggle to discern and maybe we have some questions and maybe maybe we are troubled by some things in fact, um, the Bible is filled with uh, I Bible is filled with wrestlers i don't know if that's a good quote or not, but people people who wrestle with like with what's going on one of the like the first example that should come to mind is jesus himself jesus in the garden of gethsemane he's praying and he says father if this if it is possible uh, i would like this cup to pass by me without me having to drink from it he's he's sweating and there's blood coming out and medical doctors have examined that and they're like it it takes some pretty intense anxiety for blood for you to sweat blood jesus wrestled he struggled with it not because he didn't trust the Lord or not because, you know, all that kind of stuff. It just, man, he's facing something difficult. Paul tells us in Philippians 4 that he, he has learned, he says, I've learned to be content in any situation. Implication being that uh, contentment was not always his default mode. They all had to learn to, like, work my way through things. The whole Bible is filled with people who wrestled with stuff. So a part of it for us Uh, Is how do we, is getting to a place of hope, is, is realizing that God is okay with us struggling our way through it, with us being troubled by things that should trouble us, with us needing to discern things, with us asking questions. We want to get to a place of understanding. That's a good thing. I think we can cross the line. It's a trend that we see a lot in our current society where, where people have, have crossed into that irreverent, shaking my fist at you, I know better than you, God, kind of thing. I'm not saying that that's, this is a biblical endorsement for that. I'm just saying that as life unfolds, if things at first you're like, man, this is a tough one, I don't, I don't think that God is going to dismiss you any more than he dismissed Mary in that moment. So she wrestled with her situation, but her wrestling and our wrestling is not one that's, we're not, that doesn't happen on an island, that doesn't happen detached from all the other things, which brings me to the second point, is that Mary contextualized what had been promised to her. She contextualized what had been promised to her. Here's, here's what I mean by this. Um, Mary was clearly a faithful Israelite. I mean, she found favor with God, and and those are those are always connected. And so she was a faithful Israelite... Um, and so this thing coming from Gabriel to her this message it probably sounded a, l- a little a little crazy but not totally crazy. We read it and we're like can you imagine being in her shoes but in her shoes uh in her life there was more going on here's a couple of things of what i mean. Um you don't have to look at any of these necessarily but it tells us in verse 27 that she was married that she was engaged to Joseph who was of the of the line of David. What do we know about the line of David? Uh, that's the lineage of David is where the Messiah was going to come. And so if you were in the lineage of David, it was always a possibility that the, that like your, like child could be the Messiah. Like that was kind of like a, a part of what it meant to have that lineage. She's marrying into that. And so for him to say, you're going to give birth to the Messiah would be like, well, it kind of makes sense because I am marrying into the lineage, you know? She would have been thinking about that. Then, uh, whenever uh, Gabriel is giving, uh, he's like describing what's going to happen, he uses all kinds of stuff that you see in the Old Testament. All this language that she would have known because she was a faithful Israelite. Verse 32 um, says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That's in the Old Testament. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Old Testament. "uh, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Old Testament. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So Gabriel brings a message that would make sense with what she's marrying into. And he's dropping in all these scriptures that she would have known and memorized and prayed and been waiting for and banking on as a faithful Israelite. And when he tells her about her cousin Elizabeth, at the end he says, nothing's impossible with God that she, as a faithful Israelite, is a part of this story where God has done all these miraculous things. Like, it really was not that random and difficult. So, the faithful in Israel, like Mary, they were always waiting for the Messiah. This would have just fit right into that. Because they weren't just waiting, they were actively waiting. It's different, different than waiting, you know. You can just sit there and wait on something, but active waiting is you're like, well, un- until this happens, I'm g- I'm going to I'm going to get some stuff done. Like I'm I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to anticipate this. And because she was actively waiting, uh, hope showed up pretty fast for her. Because when God sourced hope is just how you normally live your life. Hope shows up really fast, you know. Hope showed up really quickly for in this for her. And so when God is your source of hope, and that's just part of how you live your life and how I live my life, and we're just living our lives, and things happen, hope shows up really quickly. It's when we kind of lose our bearings a little bit that we have to contextualize it. So she pulled it into her context really quickly. If we were to pull, whether it's the second coming or whatever you're facing right now, if we were to pull that into our current context, what does our context look like? We talked about what hers look like. What, is, what does ours look like? Uh, because we're in between... The first arrival of Christ and the second arrival of Christ. We're in this kind of waiting period. So what does our context look like? If I'm going to pull something into a situation, what does my situation look like? Uh, well, One thing is that you have a Bible. You are a possessor of the scriptures. Uh, you're holding the very words of God. And so uh, when we are possessing the word of God, we're holding in our hands uh, something that helps us to know who God is and I can know who I am, and I can know what God has done, and I can know what God is going to do. And those four things are pretty powerful. Who is God? Who am I? What has God done? What is he going to do? That's a pretty solid context, but that's not alone. last two weeks we studied Galatians 4 that talked about us being adopted into the family of God. And so, as you're holding that Bible, as you're holding the words of God where he tells us who he is and who you are and what he's done and what he's going to do, uh, you have been adopted into a family where uh, God is your father and Jesus is your brother and we are all siblings and uh, we're a part of this family and we have this inheritance that's awaiting us that has been promised to us. And so that's the context. Uh, but even like on top of all that, the spirit that God has given us is the spirit of his son, And so as the Spirit of God dwells within us, we're filled with his Spirit. We're able to navigate our way through whatever life brings us. Now I know that Mary had a baby, began to grow. That was pretty good evidence that she should hang in there, right? Sometimes it's easy to look at people that are filled with hope and say, well, yeah, well, if I if I had something that was that tangible, then I, too, would be filled with hope. But Mary didn't she didn't say the, these incredible things filled with hope once she was like six months pregnant. She said at the very beginning, like before any of it was set into motion. And I know that she had that baby, and I know that that's a miraculous thing, and that probably encouraged her and kept her in a hopeful place. But do you think that Mary's situation is, is significantly more miraculous than yours and mine? Th- sit back and think about it for a second. Do we really think that Mary's situation is more miraculous than ours? for the Spirit of God to dwell within you, for you to be adopted into his family, for God to call you his son, his daughter, for you to call him Abba, Father, for you to call Jesus your brother and your king, and the Spirit of God to fill you, and he's given you the scriptures to guide you through. Do you think that all of that is way beneath what Mary is going through? We don't need to compare the two, but I'm I'm telling you, they're they're not far apart. They're not the same, but I wonder if Mary would look at us and say, y'all are the ones that have it made. You guys are the one, your context is is so filled with blessing and grace. When we pull those things into our, when we contextualize our own stuff and we have that mindset of I'm holding the words of God and, I, and all those things about me are true as a part of this family, I can get through whatever life is bringing me. You can get through whatever life is bringing you. Because your situation, my situation, none of them happen apart from our theology. They're not, they're not separate things. They're together. Sometimes we let them separate, and what Mary shows us is you, you have to pull that into the content. You have to contextualize it. Put them together. How does what you're facing fit into who God is, who you are, what God has done, and what God is doing? He will show it to you. And when that begins to happen, you know who shows up? Our buddy Hope <laughs> will show up. So you wrestle with it. You contextualize it. And the third thing that we see that Mary does, and this is really important, she believed the source. She believed the source. As I said earlier, if your best friend and your primary care doctor and an expert at Hopkins and a global panel of experts are weighing in on your medical condition and you're filtering it, you have to choose which of those sources you're going to believe. And for Mary... For her to hear this, uh, she very quickly got to the point where she says, "I'm, I'm going to choose to believe that yeah, Gabriel was the messenger, but God was the source." And if we if we look at it, um, we'll see. Look at again at verse thirty. The angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you'll conceive your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." Jesus means God saves, so there's another reference to God. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Gabriel is is just reinforcing this idea that God is the source. God is the source. God is the source. She asks about the, the conception. He said the Holy Spirit will do this. God is the source for all this. Ultimately, she had to recognize that the one who was making these promises to her was telling her the truth. She had to choose to believe that. To believe the hope that was being offered to her was legitimate because of the one who was offering it to her. That's why her cousin said this about her in verse 45. Let's look at this again as I, as I conclude. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That is That is hope. Do you believe that God is going to keep his promise to you? We're in between the first and second advents of Jesus, but we're not waiting in a a situation where God has not kept a single promise. There's tons of promises that God has made and kept. And all of that, that track record of faithfulness should point us forward in thinking, well, why wouldn't he keep that one? He's kept all the other ones. When he says, "I've I've got to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come and bring you to where I am, so that where I am, you may be also. Why wouldn't he keep that? He's kept them all. All the other ones. When he says, "I won't leave you, I won't forsake you," of course. Why wouldn't he keep that one? On the other ones, he says, "When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. There will be waves, but they will not overcome you. So don't be afraid." Why wouldn't he keep that one? He's kept all the other. In fact, he's keeping that one now. Aren't there those promises that apply to what you're going through now? Everything doesn't have to wait for the future. The future just reminds us God's going to walk with us through whatever it is at the moment. And so this week as we study hope and we think about the promises that God has made and the promises that God has kept and is keeping, we have to keep reminding ourselves who the one like who is making these promises to us? Yeah, we wrestle we wrestle through what life throws at us. Absolutely. And we bring it into our context. And we ask God to just help us to make a that's just the normal way that we live our lives. Can we live to where we're we're always thinking about that context? We look, we're filtering everything Through that lens, everything that we're thinking about comes into that context. That's just a normal part of it. So for Mary, she got to this point really quickly because that was just how she lived her life. She was faithful. And that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. I want to be that person that something happens and it doesn't take me years and years and years and years and years to come around to where I have hope. I wanna get I want to get there as fast as possible. And then the things that I can't get there as fast as possible, I and I want us and our church culture culture to be the kind where we're like, I need to I need some help in getting to that point. And we go, we get pastoral care, we get counseling, we get whatever we need to get to figure out how I need to get to a place of hope. Some stuff you can get to really quickly. Sometimes we need a hand. It doesn't really matter. God has not created us to live apart from the hope that he offers to us. That's why he's always telling us what's coming up, what's coming up, what's coming up. You know, the, the writers of the New Testament, they're always telling, always pointing us forward. They're always telling us, you need to look at what's ahead. Jesus pointed us forward. He says, I'm coming back for you to take you where I am. Paul Philippians 3 says we're awaiting a Savior. Peter in 1 Peter 1 says our inheritance is going to be uh, revealed to us at the last time. Whoever it is that wrote Hebrews, it's kind of a debate. It says we're supposed to gather together and encourage one another all the more as that day draws near. John, at the very, very end of the Bible, he quotes Jesus who said, Surely I am coming soon. And the response to that that he quotes was the prayer of the early church, which was, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That that is that should be the natural rhythm of how we live, you know. And we're wanting Jesus come right now. If it's not going to be now, then walk me through it until then. So from now until you return, I want to be faithful. If I need to wrestle, I'll wrestle. I need your help to contextualize it and remind myself of who you are and who I am, what you've done and what you're doing. And remind me of who it is that's speaking this hope to me. Who is the source of this hope? And as I use my filter, may the unfiltered hope of God make it to the deep parts of our hearts and our minds. And I know that uh, those of you in this room, those of you watching over live stream, there's all kinds of stuff that's on our list of things that are burdening us right now. Um, the things that weigh heavy on us and all that, and some of the what may be weighing heavy on you is any any mention of Christ's return for any number, of years. or it could be family things, it could be COVID things, it could be it could be. There's all kinds of stuff. But there's zero things that you could list. That, God's, that God wants you to walk through without hope being a part of that, you know. So wrestle through it. Contextualize it. Remember who's made you the promises. And see if hope doesn't show up a little bit. When I think about Mary and what this was like for her, you know, and, and we'll talk about Joseph, we'll talk about like what... Man, how do you have that conversation with your fiance? You know, that's like a whole a whole part of this thing that's just wild. But if you keep reading, there's Mary and Gabriel, and then she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, who blesses her because she believed that God would fulfill what He said. And then there's this song that Mary sings, and there are eight times in that psalm where she says. Uh, he has, he has, and then she says something that he has done. Eight times, he has done this, he has done this, he has done this, he has done this, he has done this. He has done this. For her, she said, why, why would I push back against this? Why would I go through this without hope? Because look who has made me the promise, because he's done all these things. And so I, my prayer for you and for myself and anyone listening or watching at any point, is is that we would recognize the role that the second coming of Christ, how that infuses hope into anything we're facing currently. Like They're not separate. It's all one big thing. And that candle burns that reminds us that hope has come to the world, uh, for that to serve as a tangible reminder that, hey, everything's different now. You know? Everything's different now. He stepped into history and changed it. We're on this side of all that, and yeah, we're waiting, and we'll wait actively and faithfully, and we'll we'll keep learning to do this whole Advent thing uh, in terms of like active waiting and everything. Uh, but everything is different, so you don't have to live a hopeless life. You don't have to walk through a hopeless situation. Wrestle with it, contextualize it as a believer. Remember who is spoken it to you in the first place. And maybe we can follow in the footsteps of Mary. Uh, I'd like to pray for us. We're going to sing songs that are connected to these themes. Uh, and so I would encourage you to let this let the songs be an extension of the sermon as we respond to this together. And uh as we celebrate a little bit together because uh, anytime you talk about hope, it kind of brings like Advent has a darkness to it. Cause we have to think about the hard parts of life, but also remember there's a candle burning and that has changed everything. Uh, let me pray for us as the band comes back up. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you for, um, thank you for our, uh, very distant relative Mary and, um, just for how graciously she really did walk through just such a crazy situation. That seems crazy to us. It was maybe less crazy to her, but still required her to wrestle through it. And I know the application for this varies a lot around a room like this and over a live stream with so many different kinds of people watching. And so, Lord, I just ask that you help us to figure out what this has to do with our lives and how these fit together. Because the advent season is not one that we observe from afar we have to jump into it to give ourselves to it we have to um, yeah we have to really let you do what you want to do with this season so as we sing and pray and just kind of respond to what you're stirring within us, may you have your way uh, in this room and in our hearts. We love you and we thank you. And I pray this in your name. Amen.